Hopefully you received your notes tonight. We're going to continue looking at the doctrine of salvation. Tonight we're going to look at the elements of salvation. We've talked uh, the past few classes uh, about uh, how we're saved and why we're saved and what we're saved for. But what are the different aspects of salvation? How does salvation work? If you took salvation apart, studied it under a microscope, not that you could do such a thing, what would you see? So uh, there's a number of different elements. We're going to cover three of them tonight and maybe some more of them next week. But we're going to begin with the remission of sins. It would stand to reason that if we, if one aspect of being saved is being saved from our sins, uh, the question could be asked, how does that work? What happens to a sin that is forgiven? And on what basis can a sin be forgiven? Hebrews 9.22 reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. So, Let's start with that word itself. Why do we use the word remission instead of forgiveness? Well, well, they both work, and they're both part of it, but remission, I guess you could say it's a more technical term. It's a more theological term. It, it is the satisfaction and removal of any liens or obstacles to our being reconciled with God. So go back to Isaiah 59, where it says the Lord's hand is not short, his ear is not heavy, he's still able to save, but something is keeping us from being saved. Our sins have separated us from our God, and until our sins are dealt with, uh, there can be no reconciliation. Uh, and I think this underscores uh, both the uh, significance of the blood of Jesus Christ and the seriousness of sin itself. Um, you know, if, if, if you were separated from a loved one by some, you know, some, some device, something happened, and there was something keeping you from being able to reconcile with that loved one, you would, you would do whatever it took, right? Get on a plane and go wherever they are. Whatever it took, you would, you would want to remove any obstacle to uh, being restored to the loving relationship, to the nurturing, the edifying relationship. And, and what sin is, is it's, it's the ultimate obstacle. We can't, no matter how much we might believe, no matter how much we might love God, no matter how much we might desire to be uh, in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, until we deal with sin... Uh, it's a non-starter. There's nowhere to go. There's, there's no way to move forward. And so remission, you might hear that term. I think more, most popular uh, or the most common way we hear it today is when uh, is actually in the realm of medicine, right? You talk about the remission of a disease, the remission of cancer, or the remission of some other uh, disease that, you know, you're suffering your body. But the, the term originally dealt with debts, uh, I don't know how many of you, uh, I'm going to date myself here. There was, a, there was a time when one paid one's debts with a paper check <laughs> and an envelope 
and a little and a little uh, a little receipt, a little invoice in there. Uh, I know I don't know some of you young people. If you're listening, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But that's how we did it back in the day. You got your bill in the mail. You tore off the little stub. You wrote a check out, and on that little stub, you may never have noticed it, but there would be the words remit, remit to, and it would be the account number and the address of, of whatever institution um, held the debt or was responsible uh, for collecting the payment. So like if you, you know, if you were bad about debt, you got a, a, a collection letter from a, a collection agency, it would tell you remit to so-and-so agency. If you got it from the bank, it would be remit to the bank. It is that term remit is where we get the word remission is, is a term for the payment and the satisfaction uh, of that obstacle between us and God. So what is remission based upon? Well, remission is based upon repentance. Simply and basically repentance. No sin can be forgiven until it is repented of. I know some people kind of think, you know, if we think through that for just a moment, there's, um, you know, certainly we want to be a forgiving people. We don't want to hold grudges. We don't want to hold on to things. We want to sort of let things go. But in a technical sense, you cannot forgive a sin unless the sin is repented of. If, if, if the sin is ongoing, if it's continuing, if it's going to keep happening, if the person doesn't even believe that what they're doing is wrong, or they've made some sort of excuse, some sort of uh, rationalization for it, and they're not going to repent of it, then that sin cannot be forgiven. And that's true between us and God. And it's also true in our, in our human relationships. Uh, you know, if somebody is stealing from you, <laughs> you want to be able to forgive them, but you also want to be able to trust that they're not going to steal again, that they're not going to continue to rip you off. And you know, we, we use the term forgive and forget very loosely. The truth is we rarely forgive, and even rarer do we forget, uh, you know, unless we have genuine evidence that someone has truly ch- had a change of heart and a change of mind, and they're not going to continue to act uh, in that harmful way. Um, all right, remission is also based upon faith in Christ's sacrificial offering of his own blood. So how do we take back a sin? Obviously, uh, when it comes to sin, um, once, once a sin is committed, there is no taking it back, right? You can't untell a lie, right? You can't, uh, you can't unkill someone you just murdered. Uh, you know, a sin is kind of one of those things that once it's done, it's done. Uh, what remission does is it doesn't take back the sin. What it does is it places the responsibility for the suffering for that sin or the, the effect of that sin on the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus takes that sin upon himself, the consequences of that sin. And he... Uh, he remits it or brings remission to it through the offering of his own blood. 
Uh, uh, We've talked about this a number of times in talking about salvation, but everything about salvation flows through the cross of Christ. Uh, As much as we may be sorry for something, as much as we may wish we had never done it, as much as we might try to fix what we've done, uh, without the blood of Christ, there is no way to remove the sin as an obstacle. Uh, and that's, that leads us to the pardon, the divine pardon of our sin. Um, again, a technical word. Pardon just doesn't mean forgiveness. Pardon means that the record of that sin is removed. Uh, when someone has been pardoned from something, it, 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 it vacates the conviction. It, it puts them in a state of innocence, in a state as if they had never actually committed the crime. And, of course, the, the last piece of remission uh, and where it really takes effect in us is it purges our sins from our own conscience and also from the memory of God. Once God has pardoned a sin, once a sin has been remitted, God will never bring that sin back to, uh, uh, to our mind or, to our, or, or never use that sin against us. You know, some people will tell you they've forgiven something, but they'll always bring it back up over and over and over again. You know, they'll never let you forget that you, you, you did this thing or that you said this thing or, you know, if you ever get into a, you know, in, in some relationships, you ever get into a fight, they start bringing up, stuff that happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago, stuff that happened with you. There's a person I know that uh, I don't see them very often, but when I do, the first thing they do is remind me of, of a thing that I did when I was about nine or 10 years old. Uh, you know, they, they say they've forgiven, but <laughs> they seem to have it. You know, they seem to want to make sure that I remember that, you know, 45 years ago, I wasn't a, a perfect person. Uh, but remission removes it. It's a purging. It removes uh, the very stain of that sin uh, from our own conscience. Uh, we, uh, you know, some people will carry their sin around with them their whole lives and let it weigh them down, let them destroy it. Uh, but just remind, just remember uh, this one point. Once God's pardoned your sin, he never brings it up again. Uh, now, the devil will. Satan will remind you all the time of what you used to do and what you used to be and all the things you you hurt, but God will never do so. Do I have any comments or questions on remission? Bishop, um, the the divine pardon of our sin, it reminds me of the scripture that says, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. Would that be correct? Yes, amen. That's uh, what I'm going to look it up. It's one of those, it's a tremendous reminder. I know that in in some versions of the Pentecostal holiness tradition, there's a lot of emphasis placed on conviction and, uh, and a constant reminder of our sinfulness, of our, of our wickedness, 
Uh, you know, we, we and there's a, there's a time and a place for that. Obviously, um, we certainly we certainly don't want to give people the the impression that sin's no big deal and that it doesn't really matter. And you know, just don't worry about it. Uh, we want to emphasize the seriousness of sin. We want to emphasize the seriousness in light of what it cost God and what it cost Christ to pardon that sin, to forgive it, to cleanse us from it. You know, that is the highest value that you can place on anything is the life of of, of Jesus Christ. So we, we want to make a serious case against sin and against continuing in sin. But at the same time, you know, if God is not willing, if, if, if God is not willing to, or if God is willing to forgive it once it's repented of and remove it, from his own mind, cast it east from the west, what right do we really have to be constantly reminding others, or just as importantly, reminding ourselves? You know, I think sometimes the hardest person in the world to forgive is yourself. You know, and if we're not careful with it, if we don't come at it with the balanced scriptural, spiritual approach, you know, we will have people living in condemnation their whole lives, and that's miserable. And that's, you know, that's, and, and what it is is eventually people get tired of being miserable. <laughs> they're going to want to go somewhere where they're not condemned, where they're not always reminded of how terrible a person they are. And unfortunately, uh, that may not be the church. It may be somewhere else. So we got to find a balance here. We got to find the balance. God's pardon is 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 perfect and it's permanent. Uh, you you may con- you may commit a new sin, but once your old sin has been forgiven and has been pardoned, uh, it is remembered no more. All right. Uh, so we'll move on to justification. So if remission deals with our guilt and our our, 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 sin, our the sins we've committed in a negative sense, it removes the obstacle. It removes the, the, the debt. It, it clears the path. But remission itself does not count as righteousness. That's what justification is for. Therefore, being Justified by faith, we have peace with God, is what Romans chapter 5 says. And justification is concerned with our standing before God. Um, It's the divine answer to our state of guilt. It is not merely a verdict of not guilty. We've all seen the trials on the televisions where, you know, the jury comes back and they says, well, he may have done it, he may have not done it, there's not enough evidence we're going to declare him not guilty, but that doesn't mean he's innocent. Right? Being declared not guilty doesn't mean you're innocent. It just means that for whatever reason, the jury couldn't, couldn't find a good enough cause to convict you. That's not how it is with God. God doesn't just say, through remission, you're not guilty. 
God says through justification that we are actually righteous, that we are just, that we are justified, that our faith in Jesus Christ is counted as righteousness. That righteousness, you know, Romans chapter 3 talks about there is none righteous, right? None righteous, no, not even one. So where does this righteousness come from? If it's not our righteousness that is being declared to be righteous, whose righteousness is it? And that leads us to that beautiful passage there at the end of Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through the end of the chapter, where Paul talks about justification being the imputation of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His righteousness is credited to our accounts. He was faithful for all of us. He lived the sinless life that all of us were supposed to live. He was justified before God entirely on his own merit. You and I are justified before God, not on our merit, but on his. By putting our faith in Christ, our faith imputes to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Of course, this is an act of grace. There's certainly nothing we can offer or bargain with. There's nothing we can... We can tempt God with. There's nothing we can present to God to say this is worthy of being counted as righteousness, but the grace of Jesus is, and the grace of God is what makes this righteousness available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, when, when I talk about being justified, I'm not talking simply uh, about, you know, okay, we're going to... Uh, stand before the judge one day and he's going to declare that we can enter into the kingdom. But I'm talking about a justification that impacts the life we're living here. There's a huge difference uh, in, in once you're saved in being justified and having a standing of righteousness before God than where it was before. That's why I always reject this idea that we're simply sinners saved by grace and we'll stay sinners for as long as, you know, we live in this life. Um, there's no way to justify sin. Uh, this is a radical change of standing before God. And, of course, it's, bla- again, like remission, this is based on the blood of Jesus Christ. Being justified by His blood, we have... Uh, again, his righteousness, his merit, what he earned legitimately is passed on to us through uh, his sacrificial act on the cross. And it's assured, we know, we know and have assurance that we are justified because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because we know that that means that God accepted the life of Jesus as uh, uh, fully and completely righteous, completely and totally uh, in keeping with the will and word of God. And that's what gives us the assurance that we stand in this justified condition before God. 
So we will move on to regeneration. Everybody knows the, or hopefully everybody's familiar with Jesus' conversation in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. There Jesus says a remarkable thing. Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I say to you, you must be born again. What do we think Jesus is talking about here? What do you think it means to be born again? Um, Nicodemus, obviously, whether he was being a bit sarcastic or genuinely confused, he says, are we talking about a natural birth? Can a man re-enter his mother's womb and be born again? Of course, we're not talking about that. We understand that regeneration is not the regeneration of this body, although that will happen at the time of the resurrection. We're not talking about the regeneration of the body. So what is born again? If it's not the body, then it must be the spirit, right? So how does that work? What does it mean for our spirit to be born again? Do I have any thoughts? No, I believe, I believe when we came into the world, we, we came in with the seed of Adam. And, and by that, what I mean is we came in spiritually dead, separated from God. When we are regenerated, God gives us new spiritual life. He makes us alive again spiritually, whereas we came in dead to God. Now when we are regenerated, we are alive to God. New spiritual life is given unto us. All right, well, let's, let's, let's just look at a couple of the verses here. Uh, we begin with the, the fact that we are talking about a new spiritual eternal life. So we have the life of the body. The life of the body, um, whatever you call it, the soul or the, the, the energy, the force, the thing that makes this body function and live, the thing that causes all our, our neurons to fire and all our organs to function, that is the biological life, the bios, the temporal life. Um, and then we have that part of us, we call it the spirit, some call it the mind, some call it consciousness, uh, but it is, according to the scriptures, it's eternal. Now, our brother talked about that part having died when we, when we sinned, right? The soul that sins shall surely die. So when we sin, when we first consciously did that thing that we knew we were not supposed to do, we died in a spiritual sense. That part of us that was alive in Christ, alive in God, alive eternally, perishes. Uh, you know, and there's several scriptures that refer to this. There's one where Paul says, uh, "She lives. She who lives in pleasure is dead while she is dead while she lives." Jesus Himself said, "Let the dead bury the dead." So we know we're talking about that, not the physical life, but the 
spiritual life. So when we come to faith in Jesus, uh, and God, through remission, takes care of our sin, through justification, declares us to be righteous, He then, through the power of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, He takes that dead spirit and He resurrects it. He he, he infuses, imparts new life. Jesus talked about this in several places. He talked about uh, in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. He who uh, drinks this water will thirst again, but he who drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. It will become in him a, a well, a wellspring of, of eternal life. He said in John chapter 7, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For as the scripture says, out of his belly shall flow the living water. There's uh, many other places in the Gospels and in the New Testament that talk about this impartation of a new life. I mean, probably the most uh, well-known to most of us would be Second Corinthians chapter 5, which says, if anyone be in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. So something is regen. That word regenerate now, generate means life, re means again. To, to be born again is to receive a new life in Christ. How does this happen? It happens by faith. It happens by the power of the Word of God, according to James chapter 118 and 1 Peter chapter 123. Um, and it happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. This is not simply uh, reforming our behavior or adopting a new philosophy of life. Or uh, somebody not long ago, somebody was trying to uh, sell me <laughs> on the benefits of yoga. Now I don't know a thing about yoga. Uh, the only yogi I know is Yogi Bear, right? I guess Yogi Berra, the, the Yankee baseball player. Uh, but they were telling me that uh, having be, gotten into this yoga, they, she said, this person said, I feel like a new person. And I thought to myself, well, that's, you know, that's, that's good. But the only way I know to become a new person is to be born again. right? The yoga might, whatever, help you with calming your nerves or... or whatever, but you still have the same sinful nature that you've always had. And I think this is so critical, because when we talked about that forgiveness and remission and that justification and righteousness, God is not a liar. I think we need to understand that. God does not call righteous what is not righteous. And if God calls us righteous... It can only be because we become righteous in Jesus Christ. And the only way we can do that is to become these new creations, these new creatures, to, to walk, according to Romans chapter 6, in the newness of life, right? Uh, you know, Paul in, uh, in Ephesians, one of, one of those really powerful uh, statements that Paul makes, he says, and you he made alive, you he regenerated, who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
So we were dead, but then we were made alive by Jesus Christ, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. Now, I want you to think about the description that I just read. Is it possible that we can truly call ourselves saved if we're still walking according to the course of this world? if we're still under the power of the prince of the air and the spirit of disobedience, if we're still conducting ourselves in the lust of the flesh and of the mind, if we're still acting like children of wrath, how could God ever call anyone who's doing this a righteous person? There has to be a change of life, a change of nature, a change of character. And that's what it means to be born again. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I was blind. Now I see. I was sinful. Now I'm righteous. I was disobedient. Now I'm obedient. The new life is not the same as the old life. Paul tells us later on in Ephesians chapter 4 to put off the old man and put on the new man to adopt the character of the new life, which is drawn from and based on the person of Jesus Christ. To be born again is to have the nature of Jesus Christ imparted. We talked about imputing righteousness. To impute is to count in a technical sense. But now we're talking about the imparting of righteousness, the impartation, where the very life of Jesus actually becomes the well from which our new life flows. If any man be in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. I live, yet not I. It is Christ who lives toward me. The most miraculous, most, most wonderful thing that God does for us is regeneration, to give us a new life when all that we had to offer him was the old, broken, wasted life of sin. All right. Well, Well, that's our class for this evening. All right. Good night, everyone. We'll talk with you next week. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 7.45 p.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, 
Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.